And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hi there and welcome to The Athletic Football Podcast. This is the weekend preview on the eve of the new Premier League season. I'm Adam Leventhal here at The Athletic HQ in London and we're going to be here every Friday to look ahead to the weekend. And in the studio with me for this first blockbuster show is, first up, Deputy Editor Laura Williamson, who who had quite a fancy breakfast this morning, didn't you, Laura? Where have you been? I've been at um, Stamford Bridge this morning. Oh, Talking, nice. uh, yeah, Women's World Cup and lots of other exciting things. Excellent. Very okay. lovely smashed avocado. Oh, fantastic. Jolly good. Well, we will be getting Laura's take on uh, various transfer sagas, the Premier League action obviously to come as well. Um, alongside her is Jay Harris, our Brentford reporter. How are you, Jay? You're, you're, you're a bit under the weather, aren't you? A little bit ill, but it's probably calmer because I spent 10 lovely days in Cyprus. So. <sighs> Nice. Can't have it all. So you've holidayed, you're, you're fresh, you're raring to go. I holidayed, I was fresh, and then I came back <laughs> to the UK, picked up a cold straight away, um, but hopefully I'll be match fit in time for this weekend. That's standard youngster business though, isn't it? Coming back from a holiday with a, with a bit of a cold. I quite like that. Uh, Adam, I don't like the way you're looking, <laughs> looking at me there as if to say, fellow old boy Nick Miller over here. Yeah, Nick is also here. Um, and I wanted to get to this straight away because obviously this is a, the start of a new Friday podcast. But after the weekend, I know we've got a Monday night football this, this weekend, but every Monday, Nick Miller is going to have his new column. Just tell us a little bit about it. Mm, yes, it's going to be called uh, The Briefing out on uh, Monday mornings. It's uh, a look at a few questions and issues that have arisen from the weekend's football so yeah very exciting should be good i'm looking forward to it okay um let's start off with a topic which is in motion it is uh, progressing as we speak we're talking about an epic transfer saga involving harry kane and spurs they've delivered once again thursday morning the athletics uh, david ornstein the uh, the news guru the transfer sage broke the news that Tottenham have accepted Bayern Munich's bid, which is around about £86.4 million for the England captain. The onus now is on whether Kane wants to go. As we speak... Hello, I'm Michael Bailey. This episode of the Athletic Football Podcast Weekend Preview was recorded at 2pm on Thursday afternoon and it originally opened with a discussion about Harry Kane and what decision our panel thought he might take. And then, just as everyone was heading to bed, Kane agreed a four-year deal with Bayern Munich. So instead, here are our night owls, David Ornstein and Rafa Honingstein, with everything we knew in the early hours of Friday morning. We broke the news exclusively on The Athletic that 
Bayern Munich had reached an agreement with Tottenham, according to our sources in Germany, to sign Harry Kane. The fee that Bayern Munich had accepted by Tottenham for Kane was in excess of 100 million euros. But there was one outstanding issue, and that was whether Kane would agree to make the move. He had a massive decision to make because in recent days it became clear that he was actually leaning towards staying with Tottenham and it created a number of hours of uncertainty, of speculation, of reports, counter-reports, rumour, gossip and everything else in between. But eventually, late on Thursday night UK time, it became clear that Harry Kane had now agreed to join Bayern Munich and that personal terms were in place on a four-year contract, which we revealed on The Athletic too, and that all that was left was for Tottenham to give Kane the green light to travel to Germany, undergo his medical and complete one of the transfers of this window or any window. And it will be the end of an era if everything gets finalised. So what about the view from Germany? Well, Raphael Honigstein is the Athletics Bundesliga expert. Rafa, a remarkable day for Bayern. Just how big is this transfer for the club? Yeah, it's absolutely huge. Uh, They needed a number nine. They were in the market for Harry Kane last year, but didn't really get anywhere. It was seen as hugely ambitious to come back for him. But they have actually pulled it off. Uh, I don't want to say despite all the odds, because they obviously have the money and Kane was perhaps more meanable than some of the reports in the UK suggested. But it's still, yeah, a sizable achievement to get the Premier League's potential best of a goal scorer, certainly England's uh, top goal scorer, out of the Premier League at uh, at a time when the Premier League is clearly the most dominant league in in the world and get him into the Bundesliga. Um, yeah, I'm pleasantly surprised that Bayern have pulled this off. I think it reflects very well on German football as well. I was going to say, it, it does feel like a, a real coup for German football, but I hope that's not patronising. I mean, is it fair to say that a move like this is more about Bayern's Champions League ambitions than defending their Bundesliga title? I think that is probably fair. They they suffered last year without a centre-forward and they very nearly did not win the league. So I think that would have focused their minds on the importance of signing uh, a number nine. It wasn't just a case of uh, arresting Kane for the Champions League uh, knockout stages. They will need him, of course, domestically as well. But... I'm sure both for them and for Kane, the main story is going to be the Champions League. And I think there's an anticipation that with Kane being there, Bayern go from being maybe in the mix among the top eight teams in the the Champions League to a more serious contender the way they were in the Pipe Guardiola years. And of course, before. And that, I think, is, is obviously the real story. Bayern want to target 
not just domestic trophies, but really give it a go in Europe with Tuchel in his first full season. And they've given themselves a much better chance now. How key was Thomas Tuchel in all this? He would have seen him obviously close at hand in, in England and I'm sure would be very excited about working with him. Yeah, I'm sure Tuchel was absolutely key in this. I mean, we were yet to find out the the ins and outs of how the deal was done. I think that's going to take up uh, most of my day tomorrow. But um, there is no doubt that Tuchel, having tried to sign Kane last year already with Chelsea, um, had already made some headway uh, when it came to striking up a personal relationship and maybe getting Kane excited about the idea of working with him. And uh, it's no secret that Tuchel was part of a expedition to uh, London of a team of, of, of officials and, uh, and himself to visit Kane and talk to him about the idea of, of going to Bayern. I think it was in May. And I'm sure that was absolutely crucial in convincing Kane that Bayern would be the right move for him. I have seen people talk about Kane correcting the hole left by Robert Lewandowski from 12 months ago, but surely Bayern will will need to adapt their style as well for, for Harry Kane specifically? I'm not so sure. I think Harry Kane will just have to play slightly more um, further up. Because if he goes too deep, he'll find himself behind the Bayern centre-backs. They have so much control. Uh, they will push most teams really deep. And there will be occasions when they will use the opportunity to hit him direct. And he can then lay it off to the likes of Serge Gnabry or Leroy Sané or Jamal Musiala. And that's going to be um, a big asset for Bayern. But most of the time, Bayern will have possession and the opposition will be quite deep and they will need him in the box. So it'll be a mutual adaptation process. But I think because the quality involved both uh, in terms of Kane coming in, but also the players around them, it shouldn't take too long. Uh, but this really is seismic and attention will also turn to how Tottenham will cope in his absence. They start their Premier League season away at Brentford on Sunday. They've already done a fair bit of recruitment. Uh, young player coming in from Argentina in attack. There's James Madison there as well. They've got Richarlison, who is Brazil's number nine, lest we forget. And he could be used uh, most likely at the centre of the front line from now on. And you know, a huge burden will be on his shoulders. Um, we don't know if and how much recruitment Tottenham will do subsequently because they've spent quite heavily till now. Maybe they have already spent the money that they expected to get in for Kane because, of course, they've brought in Mickey van der Ven in defence, for example, too. A new goalkeeper to replace Hugo Lloris as well. Um, there will be so much talk and conversation, discussion, debate about this. But finally, an end is in sight. It appears we have something definitive and Harry Kane is all set to sign for Bayern Munich on a four-year contract. And now, back to the original podcast. Okay, let's move on to the game of the weekend. It is Chelsea against Liverpool. Are we all happy with that? Is it, is it the game of the weekend? Chelsea against Liverpool? Yeah. Yes, Laura? Jay? Apart from the Brentford game, yeah. And and obviously, apart from the, the Forest game this weekend, Nick, that's the game of the weekend? Yeah, I, I suppose I could be obtuse and say Burnley-Man City, which, you know, 
company again, managing against Man City, although they did, did it last season. <laughs> God, there's nothing, nothing <laughs> satisfying Laura Williamson to that. Sure, but, well, we know, uh, we know, okay. we know. Yeah. Laura is she is very demanding in terms. Of, it has to be super interesting. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I, okay, I won't be super interesting. All right, uh, Chelsea Liverpool is a big game. This is the game of the weekend. Yeah, right, right. Good, right, and it has an interesting subplot. We were talking about Harry Kane earlier on, and that being a saga. This is a this is a, a tasty one because both Chelsea and Liverpool seemingly fighting over two players. Uh, Romeo Lavia of Southampton, Moises Caicedo of, of Brighton. We've reported that Chelsea have submitted a £48 million bid for Lavia. Um, he's someone who Liverpool have been chasing all summer. They've almost been treating it like an eBay auction and just sort of <laughs> nudging it up by a pence here and there. Uh, I'm new to eBay, so I, I've just sort of... I, I'm, fascin- I'm fascinated by the whole thing. But anyway, it's just been nudging up. This, yeah. this, these bids from from Liverpool, and obviously Chelsea, they've been chasing Caicedo uh, all summer, and then seemingly Liverpool are, are also in the mix for him. Um, I, I've sort of cobbled together the latest there for you, Laura. <laughs> but I mean, are, are we expecting it to sort of develop in any way before the weekend, before before these games kick off? Yeah, absolutely. It's a really, really live situation. And with the latest that um, Liverpool had um, just sort of just made a little discreet inquiry um, to Brighton over Casado. They they believe, everyone believes he wants to go to, to Stamford Bridge. But they just, you know, just in light of what's happening with Lavia, we just thought, you know, just we just need to position ourselves just in case. Um, and it, it the brinkmanship is just brilliant um and and then of course you've got the other the other clubs involved so southampton saying um quite categorically we want 50 million quid for a 19 year old who's played basically one season in the premier league um and you know if you if whoever pays that can have him so then chelsea come in with with 48 including add-ons um but so you know there's a little bit of room there for liverpool to go back um and then brighton with um on the other hand are looking for similar money for that arsenal paid for declan rice so that's the sort of benchmark they're looking at um so it's yeah who's gonna who's gonna uh, blink first basically Nick, what's what's your take on on clubs being very very um, uh, solid in their valuations and not budging? Obviously, we've seen it with Caicedo and Brighton last summer, um, and it's basically no, 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 he's ours. If you don't pay this, you're not going to have him. And obviously, we're seeing it with Southampton now. They're the same with with James Ward-Prowse. I I, I like that personally. It, it seems a sensible approach. Yeah, not to be bullied. Well, yeah, exactly. And you you, you often get um, in these situations little kind of I don't know exactly happens in this situation but complaints from other clubs saying well if they are want to do a deal they're going to have to drop their asking price yeah. well no they don't they don't want to do the deal that that, that they're under no obligation to kind of sell for anything it doesn't happen than... on eBay why should it happen in the premier <laughs> exactly it's yeah. always going on about eBay <laughs> eBay he's just discovered this brand new it's fantastic. Uh, thing. have you heard there's Bebo as well oh, Bebo right. and MySpace this is, this is huge <laughs> huge if true um but yeah the other interesting thing about the situation is they're two very Obviously, two very good young players, but they are very young players. Like you're saying, Lavia has about just under well, barely a season. Casado's only really been here for a season and a half. The Brighton signed him a little bit earlier than that, and he was the kind of the the player that they signed to replace Basuma before they sold Basuma. Yeah. Um, but 
and and the, then these are two teams, Chelsea and Liverpool, who it's not as if they're buying these young players, slightly unproven players, to kind of bed them in a little bit, and you know maybe we'll, they'll be regulars in a season. They need both need these guys to go in to the first team now, so that's another kind of uh, strength for Brighton and Southampton yeah. that they know that basically these guys are desperate and they can they can ask for whatever they want. And if they, you know, even if they say, we'll give you £49 million, pounds, you know, they'll say, nope, 50. Yeah. 50 or no deal. <laughs> uh, and, you know, fair play to them. The other bit is that this this is obviously being played out in public because annoying journalists like us are, 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 you know, find the information reporting it. But that's such a departure from what Liverpool have done over the last, I don't know, six or seven years. Yeah. I mean, sort of bolts from the blue, left, right and centre. And now there's no Michael Edwards and the, the subsequent sporting directors moved on. It's, it's, it's just a very different world for them. And then throw in Saudi Pro League. I mean, it, it literally, it seems every day that somebody's making an offer for... Um, a Liverpool player, then it's, it's just, and then you've got Chelsea with uh, you know the second summer under Clear Lake Capital and a new manager in charge, and they're doing things very differently than under the Roman Abramovich era. So it's like everyone's finding finding their way, but it's all being done in public, which is brilliant for us. Jay, from from your point of view on on Chelsea, I mean it's been quite humble spending this summer only 250 million uh, compared to last summer which was half a half a billion uh, so they've you know they've cut their cloth accordingly and they're obviously being very sensible in the transfer market you're looking at me seriously i am joking <laughs> no. don't worry don't worry in terms of you know that what they're doing to their squad and their um sort of mo on on recruitment at the moment it, what, what, what how do you how do you view it do you think that it's a sensible approach or is it still too many players I still think it's a little bit too erratic and I can't really work out what the exact plan is. I, we obviously know that they're signing a lot of young players, but yeah. I don't really know how you incorporate all of them together. They've obviously got, what, six or seven centre-backs at the moment and it doesn't seem that any are on the way out. So what kind of message does that send to, to certain players? To be honest, I think the best bit of business they've done this summer is probably tying Levy Cole down to a, a new long-term contract. I think that was a really clever move. But then, as I just mentioned, they've already got Benoit Badia-Chile, who's also a left-footed centre-back who they spent a lot of money on in January. They've obviously got Wesley Fofana. I know he's injured and going to be out for a long time. Thiago Silva, Trevor Chalabar, Axel Dizassi. It's like the numbers just stack up in that position, but then they're completely threadbare in central midfield where they've not really got a six, which is why they're so keen on Caicedo. And Kunku's injured, so they've not really got someone that can play in between the lines and offer some creativity in midfield. They've obviously got Nicholas Jackson from Villarreal and they've got Amanda Broya, but they are quality strikers but they're not top quality strikers they're promising strikers but they're not the finished article yet so even though Chelsea has spent what three quarters of a billion pounds in the last 12 months it still looks like that team is light years away from actually competing for anything in my um, season predictions that I did for the Athletic I think I put Chelsea to finish sixth and I, I personally really don't see them making that much of a concerted push to get into the top four just because I think it looks too manic at the moment in theory they've got um, exactly the right coach for the situation they find themselves in he's obviously um this was obviously his big strength uh, when he was at Tottenham working with kind of young hungry players who wanted to learn which is exactly the situation he didn't find himself in at PSG which is why that went south but it, they've spent all this money and you kind of you do look at their squad not just in midfielders you know the other areas that that Jay outlined and you kind of think well how the you know how has this happened 
you ever go go to the supermarket and spend a lot of money and then you kind of get home and open the fridge and suddenly go, I haven't actually got any food. <laughs> Can't make a meal. Yeah. It's a kind of, they've spent 250 million pounds on condiments, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very true. And and Reese James is the new captain and he has to sort of lead yeah. lead everyone out there and, and whoever it's going to be behind him. Do you want a, do you want a small quiz? Um, yeah, go for it. Do you, what do Reese James, Ben Chilwell, and Tergo Silva have in common? Is this a comedy quiz or a proper quiz? Actual quiz. Oh right. Well, you can well, find it funny if you want. Okay. Uh, I would say something like they made less than twenty-five appearances in the league last year. Uh, that, that's not what I've got on the card. It might. It might be. That might be true. They're the only players that started the Champions League final in twenty twenty-one that are still there. Ah. Two, two like two years ago. So it shows the transition in terms of yeah senior players or anyone that they can hang some experience on yeah yeah wow okay well yeah all the best mopo <laughs> i'm sure you'll sort it out everything will be fine um meanwhile uh liverpool and you know obviously we've, we've been talking about them and in their chase for um for lavia in, in particular they need to fill that engine room hole left by uh, fabinho jordan henderson uh, who've both headed on to the the saudi league and the backup as well have, have gone too with, with Keita, Milner, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain heading to, to Turkey too. Uh, do, do we feel that there is going to be a sort of a, some sort of magic spark that, that Jurgen Klopp has, has thought of for this season? Because it doesn't seem as if they're going to be much stronger than last campaign. I think it, there must be something somewhere because, you know, how long have we been saying they need reinforcements yeah. in the centre of midfield? Is that every single transfer window? That's what they need to prioritise. That's what they need to prioritise. And now these old guard and not so old guard uh, are gone. And, and what happens? And, you know, maybe moving Trent and Alexander-Arnold into midfield as he as he's done a little bit might be an option um, but it'll be a fascinating season for Liverpool because last season was so disappointing so disappointing and then there's been the sort of flirtation with the Germany job from Klopp this summer and and so much change and so much flux so yeah I mean I really really don't know what to expect from them at all. Okay, well, there's going to be a lot more um, on Liverpool to come. Obviously, we've got our dedicated Liverpool podcast, Walk On. Uh, in one of the episodes earlier on this week of the Athletic Football Podcast, uh, Rafi Honigstein joined uh, Tony Evans to discuss all the, the various machinations at Liverpool. Uh, so you can check that one out as well. Hey listener, there's a brand new Totally Football Show out right now, ready to get you up to speed on the brand new Premier League season. It's got the predictions bit in there, we've got all the big pre-kickoff news from this busiest of weeks, plus some fiendish quiz questions and all the 80s bands in car dealerships chat that you would expect. Duncan Alexander's on board, so is Tim Spears and Adrian Clark too. So why not join us yourself on the Totally Football Show season preview, out now. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This is a paid advertisement from Better Health Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stressors, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. Okay, it is the uh, time that you've all been waiting for, and it is the Athletics Hopometer, which is a survey of English football supporters determining who are the most positive and who are the most negative fans ahead of the new campaign. Let's get this out there straight away. It may not come as a surprise that Everton fans are the most pessimistic and Aston Villa are the most optimistic going in to this season. I, I mean, f- first of all, on it, on Everton, you know, they survived. They've got Sean Dyche in charge. And I know they haven't been spending as much money as Everton fans would like. But Nick, from your, your point of view, do, do you think they should be really pessimistic? Or do they should they think, well, actually, we should be OK. We're not going to win the league. We're not going to finish in Europe, but we might finish 17th. <laughs> wow i mean that if, if that's your idea of what it, you know what is op- a huge optimism yeah i mean it just it, it feels like even though they do have uh you know a, a grown-up manager now they it all feels a little bit inevitable that they've been kind of flirting with this for so long and their team has kind of got incrementally worse over the last few seasons so i, I it's it's um kind of perfectly I think it's perfectly justifiable for them to be hugely pessimistic about the season. That that I, I I suppose the hope is that there are probably three teams in look at the, who look in worse shape than them at the moment. L- Luton, in theory, they they don't look like they have the standards of players. Um, Sheffield United have come up and gone, uh, operated the maverick strategy of selling their two yeah. best players and not, as far as I know, properly replacing them. And then Wolves, who are selling everyone and signing no one. Yeah. So, and and then, you know, there's there's, there's Forrest. Uh, oh, you, who... you eventually got to Forrest, didn't you? Look at you. <laughs> well, Old Charlie Big Potatoes now. <laughs> Been in the Premier League for one season and he mentioned Forrest fourth. We're, oh, a, like we're a big like deal that. now. Yeah. Uh, Adam. Um, but yeah, the, 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 they... It, it doesn't look good, but it looks worse for some of the people. So, which yeah. isn't, which isn't the, the, the kind of most. It's been a football fan, isn't it? Yeah, which isn't. It, it doesn't kind of 
you know set fire to your heart does it it doesn't you know it, it get get you up for going to the games well we're rubbish but i'll tell you what there are some other teams that are even more rubbish and it's also i think it'd probably be quite a um a sad season for them because it's their last at goodison park which from a uh, it shouldn't necessarily mean anything in terms of the team's performance on the pitch but from a fan perspective we all know that goodison park's been kind of falling apart for mm. a long time but it is a I I love the love the place even though it is crumbling. You love clean. Goodison Park. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Atmosphere, the press facility. I knew you were going to get that. I knew you were going to say. Yeah, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll yeah. caveat that by saying I've never covered a game there. I've only ever been as a punter. Yeah, the atmosphere is great. But, yeah, uh, it's a tight squeeze. That's oh, all I'll say. Yeah. You're wedged in. On, I mean, this is no, this is first world problems. Let, yeah. let's, let's not even go there. But it is an awful press box. But anyway, anyway, on the opposite set of the scale. Aston Villa heading into the new season with with momentum. Unai Emery's taking them into into Europe. They take on um, Newcastle. Everton, by the way, up against Fulham uh, to just sort of just to really sort of light those fires that you were <laughs> you were talking about, Nick. Um, Villa against Newcastle. Aston Villa, obviously, you know, overachieved. No one was expecting Unai Emery to have that that impact, and Newcastle, with their Saudi backing, did likewise. It's a. It's going to be an interesting first game to see how how those two are shaping up for this season. Which, you know, Newcastle have Champions League football, Aston Villa in Europe too. How they're actually going to fare this season? Yeah, definitely. Villa have had some bad news today in that Emi Buendia has done his ACL and um, will be out for a well, period of months, potentially even the season, to dampen things a little bit. But absolutely, they're. Yeah, buoyant, buoyant in Birmingham, and and with this this Spanish takeover that's happened happened there, it, it's fascinating to see to see what'll happen. But I mean, for optimism, they're not going to beat Newcastle, surely. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, the pre-season victories were celebrated with with a good dose of irony. But you know, we finally won a title, the <laughs> Cellar Cup, or whatever it was. <laughs> the picture of the CEO with the trophies on his bed. Um, so I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, onwards and upwards they. Got, and they've got some, you know, really talented young players coming through Newcastle as well. There's that 17 year old lad, Lewis uh, Miley, I think it is, um, who's, uh, you know, just really looks the part already. And, you know, and that again, you know, we love a homegrown player, don't we? You know, that sort of excitement. Um, so, yeah, so can they kick on and when they've got Europe to deal with as well? We love a homegrown player. Let's not forget that you hate <laughs> Harry Kane. <laughs> Um, just, just a word on, on Newcastle. Um, a word on Newcastle and the business that they've done, Jay. Do, do you see them having done it enough to sort of sustain that position in the, in the Champions League places? Also, you know, when their squad is going to be further stretched? I think, you know, I spoke a little bit earlier about Chelsea's recruitment and I didn't really think it had like a clear plan or strategy. Whereas I think Newcastle have done the, the, the opposite and I think they've been quite smart in the players they brought in. The price they played for Livramento might be a little bit of a eyebrow raiser, just in the fact that he's been out injured for quite a long time, and it will be a you know a test for him to see if he can kind of recapture the form he showed at Southampton before that. But I think picking up Harvey Barnes, who's always been a pretty solid and reliable performer for Leicester City for I think it was only around thirty-five million pounds. I think that's a pretty clever deal. Obviously, loads of people intrigued about how Sandro Tonali is going to work out. Um, I remember straight away James Horncastle was writing about he's not actually the Pirlo regen. He's more like a Gennaro Gattuso regen. But if that allows Bruno Gimmeresh to play a little bit higher up, then I think they've got a team that will do pretty well in Europe. And also, Isak was phenomenal, but he was only really around for the final three months of last season. So I'm really excited to see what he can do if he's given the kind of whole campaign to run right. 
Yeah, we will see how it pans out between uh, Aston Villa and Newcastle this weekend. And just a reminder, if you want to tuck in to that uh, Hopeometer survey, it's on The Athletic, on the app and on the website. Okay, let's just have a quick look at some of the other games this weekend. If you're wondering the uh, the formation of the fixtures this weekend, it is a one six two one formation over the course of the weekend. That's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. We're all familiar with with that sort of way of talking about <laughs> fixtures over the weekend. Um, let's start off with uh, Arsenal against Nick Miller's Nottingham Forest. To give them their full name. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, you, you you did them towards the end of last season, didn't you? So uh, is that going to happen again at the Emirates? No, no, um, <laughs> no. I think it was there was a sort of uh, a, a element of very good timing from a Forest perspective about that, where Forest were just starting to play really well, and Arsenal were massively running out of steam. So uh, I suspect that there won't be a repeat of that, not least because Forest's team will look a little bit different. Tawanyi, who scored the goal in that game, might not play. He's uh, been injured for a little bit of preseason. I think he's, I think he's technically back fit now, but but um, might not start. Um, half the defence won't be there because Felipe and Musa Nyakasi are both injured. Red and Lodi's not there anymore. So, yeah, it, I, I wouldn't say it was from a Forest fan's perspective hugely optimistic about um, you know getting any kind of result in this game, but at least. Thanks to Arsenal, we actually have a senior goalkeeper now in um, in Matt Turner. Ah, uh, yes, of course. Mm. We've done very well on a weekend preview podcast to leave it well into the podcast without mentioning the the dominant team of the Premier League in Manchester City. They've won five out of the last six titles, won the treble last season, and basically, you know, the pot at the end of the rainbow for any team is to finish basically second to uh, Manchester City, or it looks looks as if it's going to be that way. Um, intriguing opening day for Manchester City, taking on Burnley and the subplot, obviously, with uh, Vincent Company, which Nick Miller is interested in. Laura is rolling her eyes about it. How do you think Vincent Company's Burnley will will cope with the with the Premier League? In, I suppose in comparison to the old school Sean Dyche one that we, we knew and and not many people loved. Yeah, I mean, anyone who uh, who hasn't watched Burnley since Sean Dyche was the manager is going to get a frightful shock, I think. Yeah. They're a very, very different team yeah. Yeah. now. They're very kind of... Is Ashley uh, Barnes still battering everyone? No? I, I, no? I, I, well, I regret to inform you that Ashley Barnes is no longer at Burnley. Yeah, oh, that's uh, such a but, but He did last season, though, a bit. Jay Rodriguez is still there. Oh, so, a still point in the turning world. Uh, you can all, you can kind of relax. But they're, yeah, they're really kind of exciting, quick, Passing team, positionally fluid. Uh, Tom Harris has written a very good piece about uh, what they're going to look like tactically um, uh, for the Athletic. Signed plenty of interesting players uh, this summer. They may have, I don't know, probably Aaron Ramsey, not that one. Um, the Aston Villa youngster may have signed by the time they play City, although presumably he won't be playing in that game. How they will cope with playing Manchester City? Uh, uh, obviously, an enormous step up, and they were kind of taken apart a little bit in the FA Cup. Is it the FA Cup or the Carabao last season? When it was they, FA Cup. The, the FA Cup. They're, they're, they're obviously not favourites to to win the game, but it will be kind of really interesting to see how the kind of new Burnley um, uh, fare in the Premier League. And just a, w- a word on on Manchester City. They've obviously strengthened. They've brought on Josko Gvardiol. Um, who who was very impressive during the the World Cup 
up until <laughs> Lionel Messi, you know. Um, but just but sort of if you're going to get turned and embarrassed in a World Cup quarterfinal, do it to Lionel Messi. I feel it's harsh when people dig him out for that. No, it no, was, no, a, no, it no, was a bit. It was a bit kind of oh, this guy got rinsed. Yeah, but who who rinsed him? Come on. <laughs> yeah. like, it's, it's no, 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 I know. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm yeah. not saying that you because I've seen other people say yeah, but you know he got done by Messi in the World Cup quarterfinal. Yeah. So, so hard. Yeah, like everyone else. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but I mean. How and this is this is a challenging question for you, Laura, in particular, because you know you don't get carried away with anything. <laughs> so you know, in terms of Manchester City and their recruitment, do you just sort of go, well, look, Pep's still there. They've still got all the best players. They're probably just going to win the Premier League, and it's going to be tough for anyone else. I think so, but they have been interesting this summer in that we were talking about being ruthless with you know your evaluations of players. City have done that over the past yeah. few seasons brilliantly you know we are going to play this for the player x and no more and and, and then in terms of incomings with Guardiola, um what is it 90 million euros um what a great what a great purchase that is and he's only 21 and he's left-footed i mean absolutely sensational and then this and then the you know the Cancelo stuff and you know Walker potentially going to uh, Munich, which doesn't look like it's happening now. But it, this ruthlessness, I think, considering the success they had last season, um, is fascinating and will only help them to kick on and you know God help everyone else basically. Just a quick word on um, Manchester United against Wolves. Um, obviously, you know that huge amount of attention on on Manchester United and what they're going to do. Are they going to be able to kick on? But probably the main subplot is the fact that there's Gary O'Neill in the in the opposition dressing uh, dressing room and, and dugout instead of uh, Julian Lopetegui. I mean that that was a that was an intriguing story, wasn't it? Yeah, and Gary O'Neill kind of basically doing exactly the same as he did last season. I think is it how many games was it in that Scott Parker got sacked? Three, Two, three games, in, yeah. But it's it very similar situations. One manager is dismissed uh, or or leaves because of disagreements with board over transfers and, and whatnot. Gary O'Neill comes in and he obviously did brilliant job at Bournemouth, probably quite unlucky to not be Bournemouth's manager anymore. Um, he's got a hell of a hospital pass with Wolves, as, as mentioned earlier, having sold all their best players and signed, I think, just Matt Doherty uh, at the moment. Yeah. And by all accounts, um, if you read uh, Tim Spears and Steve Madley's piece about it, probably not going to really sign any... More, any more players of any kind of you know particular value so if he manages to make a sense of that then you know he's a he's a better coach than I think everyone thought he was well we shall see what happens over the weekend and let's not forget he teed it up right at the beginning of the podcast the person to explain exactly what has happened and to analyze every last detail I'm really absolutely killing him here because it's it's probably going to be two or three play, big things play but, it down but every Adam, play it down. single moment of the weekend will be relived in in analytical detail by by Nick Miller in your uh, in your new column the briefing mm. pressures on Monday morning. <laughs> Better be better than condiments, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's a high bar. <laughs> This has been the Athletics Weekend Preview. Io Akamoleri is going to be back next week. I will be back here on Friday next week. Your producer today was John Rogers with assistance from Mike Stavrou. Your executive producer was A.D. Moorhead. And if you like what you heard, make sure that you subscribe 
to The Athletic. You can sign up right now for just $1.99 a month for an entire year at theathletic.com forward slash football pod. Enjoy the weekend, everyone. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.